Okay, welcome back then for episode two of the Euro 2020 slash 21 coverage from uh, me and the old man back home who has been cheering them on uh, much closer to uh, the action than I am. It was a little bit late last night for me, the England game. I was starting to drop off a little bit. It wasn't as entertaining and as exciting as I hoped, but we'll get onto that a little bit later um, with my dad who joins us again. Um, dad, are you enjoying the tournament so far? We're seven games in. How's it faring for you thus far on the whole? Yeah, it's it's been uh, good on the whole, and it's it's um, there's been a few sort of surprises along the way, and some 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 positive and some not so positive. I think I'm match fit now. Um, I, you know, the first match I was uh, not been drinking that much recently, but you know, I think I'm up to speed now. I think I'm. I'm I know how much to drink of it when an afternoon kickoff and when it's an evening kickoff, so that's the most important thing. As we speak, it's obviously quarter past nine here, just before the Scotland game kicks off, and it, there might be a few days until we speak again. We'll have to obviously try and make sure we uh, cover uh, and give equal representation to all home nations and go back over that game when we do speak. I'm on a cup of tea. I've gone teetotal at the moment with part Keely being pregnant, but part being busy with a few things, as you know, the the house hunting and the lockdown and the work and all that jazz. Good to see you getting back into the swing of it. I've pended my next drink with the football lads for the end of July, so I will be well out of match fitness, as you've called it by that point. <laughs> Unless England get to the final, I've agreed to have a, a pint right. there. Now, there's a bit happening in the first uh, few days of the tournament, which we'll go through. We'll touch on, I suppose, most of the games in varying degrees of detail. Um, but what better place to start other than the start? Now, I don't think I was totally surprised by Italy beating Turkey. Um, one of the main highlights for me was R Roberto Mancini's blazer. Well, he could uh, wear. Um, he could probably wear um, a sackcloth or a bin bag and still look good, couldn't he? But uh, yeah, I mean, luckily the uh, he did look good, and um, the team sort of uh, reflected that. Yeah, they did. I, I found, as I watched Turkey play, they defended very narrowly. And I think the idea would have been, I think they had confidence that they could probably fend off Italy. Um, Chiro Immobile is a player who's quite divisive. A lot of people rate him. A lot of people think he's a bit of a stat padder. I've definitely not seen him enough to pass comment. But maybe Turkey felt like they could weather the storm and catch an ageing Italy defence on the break. But in the end, I just think they defended too narrowly, too deep and... Italy were allowed enough freedom to, to create enough chances and obviously it was an own goal that broke the deadlock. Never um, a stylish way to, to start a tournament but I think there was no big surprise in, in, in that first game. It was a very convincing and stylish win, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the big the, if there was a surprise um, then it was probably how poor Turkey were in, in, some, in some ways. I mean, you mentioned the own goal. There was nothing the defender could have done about that, but the left back basically just allowed that goal to happen by falling over. And I know that can happen to anybody, but it was symptomatic of how sort of you know off the pace they were. Um, I think they were probably a little bit passive, like you say. Um, and you know, the, the result ended up being a fair reflection. I think that allowed Italy to then look slightly better than we thought they'd be, but they grasped that chance and. Um, you know, played with quite a bit of uh, pizzazz or whatever the Italian word is to that I'm trying to search for. But uh, so, you know, if we sort of quickly sort of fast forward to last night, which was, um, you know, had a lot happening in it. I think what you can probably sort of 
what I thought watching Holland, who presumably will be more of a contender than Ukraine, was that, you know, attractive as they are to watch and interesting to watch, they don't look like contenders because the defence is weak. Yeah. Um, and, the man- and the manager, if you, if you want to talk about it later, I'll talk about Frank De Boer, but the manager seems to be having a mare, and he has been for quite a while. Um, and, you know, he seems to be, if you ask me to name the worst manager in the tournament at the moment, I'd probably say Frank De Boer, but hmm. I'd just they don't look like contenders, whereas Italy, you couldn't say at this stage they're not contenders. Yeah, we talked about that momentum they had in qualifying uh, when we spoke last week, and they've obviously just taken that into the tournament. And I don't think Turkey are no mugs, but yeah, I think they've just got the tactics wrong there. Probably thought they could weather the storm, catch them on the break, as I say, and it hasn't really worked out. You know, they do play fairly deep, um, and that I guess you know that their style is often to play a little bit deep and have pace up front and use Jorginho and Verratti who still hasn't played yet, um, to really get balls in behind and get the forwards in behind um, in that 4-3-3 shape that they, they play. Something that I guess England were trying to do with Sterling. We'll touch on that a little bit later on and how successful that, that, that strategy was. But it wasn't needed in the end. I think that's been a theme of the tournament so far. I've seen quite a few goals that have come from set pieces and quite a few goals that have come from wide areas as well. Um, okay. And with that, no obvious defending errors, but I think when it comes to defensive organisation, um, especially with dealing with aerial balls, it, it, I've not seen a fantastic standard as yet, but of course it's early doors. Now, the other game in that group was obviously Wales versus Switzerland, and um, I'd have to concur with your sentiments around Wales when we spoke last week, that they didn't look um, like much of a threat coming into the tournament. A lot of players from the success in 2016, the class of 2016, still in the squad. You could tell at the end, Bale, I mean, he did last the 19 minutes, but he was blowing. He looked like he lacked March fitness and he looked five years older than the Bale from, from 2016. But Joe Allen, Aaron Ramsey, not a lot of success. And I think what was super concerning was, I don't know much about the Swiss forward, uh, Mbolo, who played up front, but he was dangerous. He just, he looked hungry and Wales really couldn't contain him. And when you look at that central back line four, um, for Wales, uh, obviously with Ben Davies in there, Roden in there, like they're not, they're not total novices. Um, you know, I think there's in, there's enough continuity within that team that they should have looked a little bit more convincing than they did. And then Bolo looked dangerous both in open play and obviously from the set piece when he scored. What was uh, what was your take on that game? Um, yeah, well, I think he was a standout player, and um, I think it sort of it confirmed what we suspected or. What was suspected about Wales? Um, I think Bale. I think the desires there with Bale. I wouldn't question that, but he, you know, the, the legs aren't willing to take him there. And like you say, if he has got to play three ninety minutes, um, and then they qualify, you know, it, he's just going to not going to be able to have a meaningful impact on the tournament. I wouldn't have thought. Um, and they've got issues. Um, and then the Swiss, as you say, uh, certainly dominate the first half um, and good. You know, well taken equaliser sort of allowed Wales to get a point. You know, that probably shows you where Switzerland are out a little as well. But I mean, um, if I decide to deserve to win it with Switzerland and, and, and Bolo, you know, I mean, I have seen him in, action, in Europa League games once or twice. He's, I've seen him have moments. Um, is he into Milan? Into Milan player? Uh... I think, oh, that's where I might have seen him play. And. He's just another player who you sort of watch the Europa League and sort of thing. Gladback. He's Gladback. He's a Gladback, sorry. And he's, um, 
not you know scored you know he's sort of made an impact on the game but clearly he's not done that on a regular basis and he's now he's at a club that maybe reflects that so but if he's if he if he does play like that in all the games all three games and they get through even um, he's certainly putting himself in the shop window a little bit there because there's there's definitely some there's a lot of power there and like you say hunger looks a little bit reminded me a little bit uh, even though he was doing it more near the centre circle which I suppose takes even more sort of guts than just doing it near the edge of the box sort of power that the Brazilian Ronaldo used to have yep and also uh, a little bit like the Kaku is at the moment yeah, uh, another one to have a chat about at the moment. Now, you think, really, don't you, Italy have got some defenders that are masters in the dark arts, but, as I said earlier, he looks hungry and you've likened him to Lukaku. He's, he's a handful. So, you know, the Italians love to put a little bit of a boot in. That was probably one thing I noticed about Chiellini. He definitely is ageing now. He looked like, at times, um, the slow kid uh, a kid's party. And uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful to him, because, obviously, he's been an immense talent over the years, but... Uh, the two teams play, and I think it could be the group decider in the week between Italy and, and Switzerland. Um, if they can find uh, Mbolo enough, um, and they can get him further up the pitch enough to create some chances, and he's a threat at set pieces, then Switzerland might be a... Was it Switzerland who beat Spain a few years ago? I think it was Gelson Fernandez that scored in the opening game in the... Was it Euro 2012, maybe? Um, yeah. So, you know... Stranger things have happened. I think that probably will be the decider in the week, Italy versus Switzerland. I, I didn't see enough from Wales to think they're going to really kick on. They looked a little bit devoid of ideas. They looked a little bit organised. They've got a lot of work to do if they're going to pick up some, some points in the group, I think. Yeah, I mean, you say the decider, and I know sort of what you mean, probably decide you'll top the group, but I think the key game is probably Switzerland-Turkey. And, and on the evidence of, of uh, Saturday, then you sort of think Switzerland have got enough to, to win that because you can see Turkey and Wales sort of cancelling each other out and Switzerland and Turkey you know, met, will probably be not too far up each other's standard yeah. and I think that's probably the bit you know Switzerland will obviously regard a point as a bonus against Italy and if they do get that and all the other games are drawn then they only probably will need a draw and they'll be through so and I guess that game's in Rome um, so you sort of half expecting Italy to win mentioned Verratti, I don't think he's had his injury issues, hasn't he? I think he's one of those that they probably, um, a little bit like Harry Maguire, they've, they've known that he's, he might not play in the group games, but if, we do, if they get through, they want him there, theoretically available for the knockout stages. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about the crowd and the home advantage, it, it sort of segues us on to um, uh, Group B with, with Denmark and, and Finland to an extent. Now, as I started to watch the highlights of that game, I didn't read anything in the press. I woke up, I, I, I turned on the TV, I just got stuck into them. First thing I noticed was Finland in the national anthem. Just looked so happy to be there. Like That is summer tournament football for me. And this thing that's happened with Ericsson is obviously a huge tragedy, but the outpouring of emotion and support from players, it's almost sort of solidified that the reason the players are there is to put on a tournament, to have a festival of football for the fans together. So... If there's some good to have come of what's happened with Eric, I mean, the, the, the good is obviously he looks like he's pulling through, but if there's some wider good to come of it, it, it seems to be that. Now, watching the game, um, we have the highlights package here. The game just sort of stopped. The pitch was empty. It wasn't very clear because it was a highlights package that I was watching. Actually, what had happened, it really took me a couple of minutes to get to grips, but how did it play out there? I understand the BBC were being streamed images from... 
um, yeah. the, the local service yeah. provider. There were some complaints around that. What yeah. what happened there? Talk us through that. Well, it's one of those freak ones initially where there's nobody near him. So and and when you see that happen and somebody stays down for mo- even more than fifteen seconds, then you start to get quite worried. And then you know the the, the play is halted by um, what obviously there was an English referee involved that we that were quite familiar with, Anthony Taylor. So yep. that sort of that sort of added a little bit more, bringing it home. You know, to you what was going on, and it was a player who we're all very familiar with. Yep. Um, and um, and then it was a case of um, sort of forming this shield around him, but the shield that the players formed at first was a little bit sort of it was more just a what it was a shield by default by uh, by accident. You know, they were just going round concerned. Yeah. And then I think it was Kier. Um, Christopher Kier, however you pronounce it, he, he he said, "Come on, we need to sort of, um, you know, give him some privacy, if you like." And they made it more of a sort of a solid block of people, like a human wall. And but before that, the host broadcaster was lingering on it quite a lot. They were relatively long shots. You know, they were all more or less long shots from from the main stand over to the other side of the pit. But the first thing that was really sort of alarming was when he convulsed and that was because he was he'd had the defibrillator now i believe he only had one shot of the defibrillator which tends to suggest it wasn't super serious and he woke up um on also he's in the prime of his life so let's hope that's the end of it if you like you know once he's rehabilitated but um the next thing was you could see um somebody pumping on his chest and then you really do start to sort of um I was actually literally having my tea at the time. I was about to have my tea, and uh, I'm not a squeamish person, but I might have sort of struggled to, at that point to get some tea down. That you know, the two things it might have happened in the reverse order actually, but the two things are just things you do not see very often. No, and you never you never see them on a football field in this country because the camera would immediately be out of there. Yeah, you know, be out of there. Yeah, um, and uh, it was a good ten minutes before the players walked off. And um, BBC were covering the game. They went back to the studio, and they almost instantly went to a library program, such as uh, you know a garden rescue. And they they sort of stopped discussing it as quickly as they could. And now the BBC, um, a lot, quite a lot of people on various platforms, criticised BBC for showing what was shown. And, and they said, "Well, we did get out of there as quickly as we could. Once the, you know, once it was decided, the match was uh, paused at least. Yeah. Um, but we couldn't do anything about the host broadcasting pitches. But I think that they should have, whatever happened first, they were pumping on the chest or the convulsion. As soon as anything like that was shown, and probably even before then, they should have probably have just pulled out and said, you know, we're going to tell you what's happening, but we're not going to show you." At least got so back to the studio then. and reflected a little bit yeah. on the, the game as some yeah. sort of mild distraction. I, I understand as well the game, it, it, it was called off and then the players said they, they wanted to play. And I guess, you know, I, I don't want to seem insensitive to the to the subject of, of what happened because it was the players' call, I understand, to go back and play. For me, I, I talked in the last episode that we did that Denmark had somewhat of a home advantage. Finland, maybe this sort of Icelandic sort of package that we, we saw five years ago. 
you know, I, I think about how emotional that must have been. The only example I could probably compare it to, but I accept it is totally different, and I'm not comparing the magnitude of, of, of one event to the other and downplaying one the other, is, is how United fans talk about the emotion of the Munich anniversary and how United sort of froze that day. Now, this, this for me, I think, is, is far, far bigger, and I'm not sure if... I think I think that it's very much the Danish culture of humility and a lack of individualism, and I think it's acceptable to say he won't mind if we play on. It was what he wanted, and Ericsson is very much that type of person and regarded that way in 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 Denmark. So yes. I can see where the decision came from. It yeah. makes it makes sense from what I understand about the Danish culture, um, but I, I do kind of wonder they would have been well within their rights to say no. Let's play this another day. Um, I think most people were surprised that it happened. And as you say, there's only certain countries that would have probably done that. And as they were playing as another Scandinavian nation, um, and the Finns, as you touched on in a couple of times, you know, probably were, were going to go along with whatever Denmark wanted because of, you know, they're not going to sort of rock the boat or they're going to just do the right thing. And, and having been so pleased to be there, they're not going to sort of then, you know, put a dampener on it by going against what the Danes want. Um, so yeah, if, had it, if that had happened in the, in the England Scotland match, for instance, on Friday, I think that match would have been abandoned um, immediately. Yeah, then it, obviously things continued to go wrong on the pitch as well. Obviously they they missed a penalty. Martin Braithwaite looked pretty lively in the game. They obviously then missed the penalty, and um, in the end it was. Um, I mean, Pookie's probably the players that we're we're most familiar with, but it was Union Berlin's Joel. Poy and Paolo, who uh, who scored on the on the hour mark in the end, but maybe this will be spelling. Usual spelling. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> phonetically spelled. Um, you you wonder with Denmark, maybe this will be a really sort of rousing moment for them as a team. Two further games at home. There was one really endearing thing that happened, I think, during the break. I saw on social media, which was the Finnish fans chanting Christian, and the Danish fans responding. Ericsson and then this, you know, huge round of applause. I got a little bit of goosebump thinking about it now. When those things happen in football matches, it, it's absolute magic. You know, it's tragic circumstances, and obviously he does pull through. And Ericsson's one of those weird players for me that, that in my, I think we all have our football tapestry in our lives, goals that we remember and moments that we remember. And I remember being on holiday when we played Ajax in the Champions League in 2012, really confident about City. We just won the league, and I just felt anything was possible for us. You know, it was really, it finally come together with Nasri and Silva and Tevez and Aguero. We'd managed to get all this talent in the team and getting it clicking. And Ericsson just schooled us and I thought, oh, this guy's going to be good. And he came to the Premier League and he was every inch that good. And I know he struggled at Inter, um, but by all accounts, he's really dug deep this year to get him back into the, get himself back into the team. It's a shame for this to happen to him. So hopefully he just pulls through, you know. You, yeah, as I remember say, watching him, uh, sorry, Dan finish. Yeah, as as we often say, uh, it couldn't have happened to a nicer bloke. But in this case, we you know you genuinely mean it. It looks that way, um, and there's a lot of genuine uh, reaction to it. Um, I remember him playing for Denmark against the Republic of Ireland in a, in a, a playoff at, in Dublin, and I think he got I think he got a hat trick. He won four one, and he's I think he's one of those players, you know that. As he's, he's, you know, he's a talisman, if you like. Um, at that point, when he did that a few years ago, he was still playing for Tottenham, and he was still, you know, he was probably getting in the PFA Team of the Year once or twice in a row, and everybody knew he was probably the best player outside the, the big, big, big clubs. Yep. In the league, that, that, of the league at that point, um, along with Kane, 
and he um, and he was he's, he has all, he has done it on a regular basis for Denmark is, is what I'm trying to say and um, I imagine they will try the best to do it for him in the next two games and it, and it has made that group uh, interesting because if you do get a, a, a surprise result then um, all four remaining games then become meaningful in theory yep indeed indeed <laughs> Um, touching on the, the other competitors in the group, Belgium versus Russia, I don't think was, was much of a surprise. And I, I hit my heart a little bit from us speaking about Belgium last week. I thought the they they look like a club team. The way they move the ball around together, they don't look like a team who's sort of been assembled and the pass doesn't quite happen. It, it, that was even happening between Kyle Walker and Phil Foden who play football every day with each other for England last night. And that's before we get on to, to, to Sterling. Um, his goal is saving grace, shall we say. But with Belgium, they look like a club team that had a really clear philosophy. Um, the movement, um, just the way that they played. Yeah, very impressive. And I think, for me, I've, I've not quite understood across the last couple of years. I look at the players Belgium have got and the manager they've got. We talked about this last time. And I think there's no reason England can't be as good as them. But having watched them um, as recently as yesterday... Um, I take it back a little bit, and with this is without De Bruyne even in the side, you know. So three yeah. 0 is the perfect result for me. It's not a hammer in that says you played a weak team. It's not we just won two one three 0 is we were the best team on the pitch. And um, I, did you see much of Russia? I, I didn't think they were they were up to much in the end. Again, much like Wales, um, a lot of players there from twenty from twenty yeah. from from twenty eighteen, and they just really don't really seem to have evolved. Yeah, I think they, yeah. You're not really, you don't ever really expect much from Russia. And obviously, in the World Cup, you thought they would try a bit harder, and they did, and it, it got them to the quarterfinal, deservedly so. But I think they very much embraced that moment. And um, in, as I say, in front of full stadia, this time it's like, you know, the, the, it's not quite as big a deal. You know, but it's not their home tournament. It's nobody's home tournament really, and it sort of showed. And like you said, they probably they probably got the same nucleus of players who were getting that bit older. You were just over the hill, and yeah, they're not looking um, very good. But then again, you know, how much of that is down to Belgium just sort of um, putting them in the place and just not letting them express themselves at all? They didn't put too surprised. But you know, then again, I won't put too much money on it. Yeah, there's games to go in the group, and Belgium are obviously the standout mm-hmm. team. We'll have to see if teams pick points off each other. But I look at particularly, I think Lukaku's earlier goal. You know, he just got the ball into him quickly. He turned, he finished. But you look at the back line of Russia. And it's, it's not organised. You know, Turkey, you might criticise for playing too deep and not really having a plan B or changing what they did. But at least they were very organised. You know, the, 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 the instructions might have been wrong for the team that they played, but it was clear to see what the instructions were. Whereas you look at Russia, it was just like a dot to dot all over the pitch. It was poor. Now, moving on to England, um, uh, because I'm planning on having a piece of toast before I go to bed. And I don't want to eat too much too late at the same time, mate. Um I think John Macken's phone will have rang twice as as the game kicked off. And I think, first of all, Ben Chilwell will have called John Macken and said, John, do you remember when Stuart Pearce played J-Mo up front against Middlesbrough and you were on the bench? How did you deal with that? Because I can't fathom how we're playing a right-back at left-back. And John Macken consoles Ben Chilwell. And the next thing, Luke Shaw calls. So now the mystery's been resolved because he picked four right-backs. Of course, only three are available. And that's because he planned on playing one at left-back. 
thoughts on the thoughts on the England game yesterday? Yeah, I mean, it's mad. I mean, I suppose it, it definitely worked for him yesterday and for Southgate. Um, and, and I think, as you sort of hinted at before, he got a bit out of jail with the Stone selection because he did one thing right and he won the game. And um, most other things worked. Putting Trippier at left back didn't backfire. And like you say, if he's, if he's got Sean Shaw on the squad, both, you know, more than capable of doing an efficient job in that match. What's the point? Um, but like you say, maybe that was to justify his four right back thing. You know, he's got an, he's got an obsession with it. The I suppose the thing that um, you know the big plus mark for Southgate today was what he what he told Calvin Phillips to do. Fantastic. Unless Calvin, unless Calvin Phillips just suddenly ran, decided he wanted to run like David Beckham against Greece in two thousand and one, wherever it was. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> just just did it anyway, and um, so that was a plus, not just for Southgate, but obviously for the team in general. And I mean, the question, I suppose, the next question is, how do we play against Scotland? He won't play the same eleven. I don't. I'd be very surprised if he plays. Starts with the same eleven. So if you do, more or less, have the same formation, i.e., Rice and Phillips both play, then is he going to ask him to do that again? Because. You know the, the element of surprise has gone with it. Um, you know Scotland, you know won't be at all sort of thrown by anything England doing it unless they come up with something really off the wall. So is, is it going to have the same impact if he plays like that? Yeah. Uh, or, or should he play? As I say, I think there'll probably be probably a couple of changes, and um, whether they'll just be sort of tweets or you know or, or, or maybe putting a Grealish in, you know. That's the next question. Yeah, I think um, the, the way Kelvin Phillips worked really, really well is it allowed someone to screen in Rice and it meant that we could push someone up who was energetic and really sort of choke Modric from playing in that deep-lying role and not have Mount have to play um, number 10 when we didn't have the ball and do a man-marking job on Modric when we didn't. He could remain somewhat in space as long as you know the back four was pretty well organised. And the back four... Did look pretty good. I think defensively we looked pretty solid. You know, Pickford didn't write any headlines, but from a goalkeeping point of view, because England have had clangers across the last couple of years, a, a, a competent performance from a goalkeeper in a tournament, it builds confidence. So I definitely take that. Phillips was superb, though. I think the things... What happened with the goal was a really well-worked goal. Kane drifted out wide and created space. Um, there was an opportunity for one of the midfielders to really drift into the pocket and then slide the ball in for Sterling. For me, though, the, the questions around that, Kane's movement, fantastic. Sterling coming in, fantastic. Kelvin uh, Phillips' ball, absolutely fantastic. But that's not the role he was deployed in, in my view. So I don't want to take anything away from him for the assist, but that's where we're looking to get Mount on the ball. Or that's where Grealish should be in the team. Or that's where Foden should be drifting inside. And, you know, you look at Sterling, we, we opted, often because he is a little bit quicker um, and he could find that space, to, to cheat and take the easy route and try and play through him. And in doing so, he had probably five key moments where he had the ball, two where he crossed it to nothing, and two wild shots that, that were nowhere near challenging the goalkeeper and the goal. Now, in tougher games down the line, he's not going to get five chances. And if 80% of them are kind of going begging, that's a little bit concerning. And putting Sterling in the team... You know, trying to accommodate him, and again, similar thing as what happened in the Champions League with City, we're not playing to our strengths with with Phil Foden. 
Um, Rashford can do that job of running in behind like Sterling can. And I think Rashford's got a lot more quality, a lot more energy, a lot more bite about him. And this Sterling running in behind thing, he, he wants to get the ball at his feet and stand up full-backs. It actually slows the game down for me. So I probably would play him against Scotland again, and that's no disrespect to Scotland. I think the game's going to be a bit more physical. You could play Phillips again, but I think you could rest him. I don't think you need to press as high. Um, I think you know there's a chance to just bring in a little bit more more flair and maybe experiment's not the right word. That's what your friendlies are for, but try something a little bit different and keep the rest of the pack guessing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I imagine he will get another run run out still in, but you know, you scored one goal in fourteen tournament, fifteen tournament games for a reason for me. That's just that you know he doesn't deliver when the crunch comes, and as you said, going back to Champions League final, it it, it, it knocks Foden out of his natural place, which is where basically left wing, um, and he's a far better player. So, what's the solution? I mean, personally, I would leave Sterling out and probably play Rashford on the right wing, and if if Phillips is going to play like that, then why not let Jack Reilly play like that? No, he's he's basically an attacking midfielder, um, and so again, it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword now because probably the two players who he might have been looking to leave out in the second game, i.e., Sterling and Phillips, for you know maybe two of the players I mentioned, he sort of hands are tied to pick them again. Yeah. So he's not going to drop Rice. Um, so, but if but then again, he surprised me by how much he got right yesterday. So, let's hope if he surprises me again in a pleasant way, I'll take my hat off to him. And if he perhaps does have the, you know, the the vision to make what what he would think was a brave call to let leave either of those two out, then let the player that comes in justify it. So, I hope he does do something like that and shows he can be brave. Might as well. We we we've always sort of gone down to meekly in, in tournaments, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. It's nice to see that he took a chance with Calvin Phillips, and you've got to give him credit uh, for obviously that yeah. that 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 coming off. Um, but it just doesn't feel quite quite there yet, quite right. So, obviously, we'll see how the group concludes tonight with uh, Scotland Czech Republic, and um, we'll see how the next round of games plays out probably around the, the, the time we speak next. Now, just before we do wrap up, there was obviously probably game of the tournament took place. We've got a lot of goals in the last group. What's that? Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine goals already in those two games. Austria, North Macedonia, first of all. The old-timer Pandev, I think, opened the scoring after a goalkeeping error. And um, I don't know if you saw much of that game. Austria looked pretty strong and pretty competent at times. They looked a bit stale until uh, Aruntovic came off the bench. Um, I don't know if you saw... He set the second one up, and I don't know if you saw his celebration after the third goal. Did you spot that? He had a bit of a mad run, didn't he? Yeah, um, like he was uh, making his. Uh, he was having a. I think he was trying to make a point to Franco Foda, was he the manager? I think so. Yeah, who I believe. Uh, I don't know if you know about Franco Foda. Um, little funny one, just to interject that Austria. Oh, he played, I think, for Germany. What a rare appearance for Germany um, in the Maracana. And um, when he came on as a sub, and he was announced as a sub, and clearly, um, obviously, his name was announced, and everybody was laughing, and apparently, it means sort of, uh, you know, cheeky sex in in Portuguese, so um, <laughs> cheeky bunk up. So <laughs> that's his moment of fame. Um, I digress there, of course. 
Um, so yeah, he had some kind of beef with the manager. But I mean, Arnautovic is, um, you know, continentally Roy Keane, isn't he? He could start a fight in an empty house. Yeah, and uh, he's just the. Um, I um, he reminds me of an ex girlfriend of mine actually because whenever I hear his name, I think a naughty bitch is coming on the pitch. <laughs> so, uh, Jesus, I always, I always think of her. Um, <laughs> oh, but there's ne- there's when he's when he's interested, there's never a dull moment with him, and um, even if he is just an impact player for them now, or that's how he's going to be used. Then, uh, in fact, if he is an impact player and he just maybe plays. 45 or 30 minutes then it's probably going to be more interesting because when he starts he might be a little bit more subdued so yeah. he's, sort of box, he's sort of box office isn't he he's, uh, he's watchable definitely and uh, with names that sound like things that they're not you reminded me of an interview that happened the other day with a university professor who was asked for commentary on the pandemic and I think her name was called like Annie Baxter sounded a lot like anti-vaxxer um, yeah. anyway I digress this time well of course the last game was obviously Holland versus the Ukraine it's probably been the game of the tournament so far and one of the ironic things I spotted with this is I remember the latter stages of the Champions League Alexander Zinchenko needing to be calmed down by the likes of you know Fernandinho in some of the games for just being a little bit too pumped up you know almost at risk of leaving the boot in getting a yellow card getting sent off or whatever it might be as the game started, Ukraine seeded possession, were a little bit nervous, and Zinchenko, ironically, is the one going round just telling everybody to, to calm the farm a little bit. But yeah. he did quite well in the middle of the park, especially oh, considering he's up against uh, Gini Wijnaldum, who um, yeah. is a very solid player. Wijnaldum's goal was a very nice finish, I thought. Yeah, it was. it's one of those that if it was if it was missed, you'd sort of say a player shouldn't be missing the target from there. But at the same time, it you know... You've got to give him credit for executing it properly. It was a little bit like with the, the last goal, the, the winning goal where the header came in. The goalkeeper makes this silly error by not hoofing the ball out of play. Don't freeze. Yeah. And then he puts a header in. And it's one of those that if he'd saved it, you would have gone, oh, it's a bit gone. Banks is that. What a great save. But by missing it, when getting a hand to it, you sort of think he really should have palmed that away and done something with it. Yeah. Um, but they have these sort of moments in football games. I think Zinchenko's, you know, Got it, hasn't he? He he he's, he's he knows he can play at that level, and he's he, even if you know he he does like playing midfield as well. So glad to see that he can transfer that and sort of you know be a leader. Because if you look just from a purely personal like selfish point of view, City fans, you know they they seem to like him enough at City, and uh, as other players get older, um, and, and it's an area of the pitch that City haven't been strong in for a long time, left back then. We're gonna might need to rely on him quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. I'll probably call that one in the end. Um the battle of the great players that are now uh managers with points to prove and remains to be seen if they're any good. Um we probably know a little bit more with De because his track record's not so good, but um Shevchenko's not doing a half bad job at Ukraine at the moment, but I guess they just didn't have it in the end. They were quite fortunate in the end the Netherlands because Dumfries missed a sitter of a header earlier on. Um, but he, he came up trumps in the end, didn't he? And um, got him off to a flyer yeah, in the home game. You know, he looks very athletic. When he scored and he, he ran off to celebrate, I thought, he's really fast, this guy. You know, so he's, he's got a great physique in that. Um, and he, what is he? Is he wing back, full back? I think he's um, a wing back, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, wing back. And I mean, the first header was poor. Uh, the second one, though, he sort of—I think he missed another chance. He, you know, he, he just kept trying, and um, you know, you know, quite a, quite another quite eye-catching player. And uh, but what a great name as well. And um, I'm just wondering if Scotland have a player called uh, Rude Van Hyre or something, because if they've got Denzel Dumfries, you know, what's gone on there? Or maybe, maybe, 
maybe if Ireland were in the tournament and had a play with a Finnish name because Finland have got O'Shaughnessy. That's right, and uh, Denmark have Thomas Delaney, don't they? True. So uh, there's quite a few uh, puzzling ones. Um, so yeah, it's always nice to sort of uh, see the old comedy name. England have got John Stuck. Uh, well, let's just leave it there. Um, <laughs> so five games to go until I guess we've seen uh, everybody play. We'll we'll jump on a little bit because by Tuesday that that we will be, have seen everybody play at least once, and that's the the group of death: Hungary versus Portugal and France versus Germany. Um, Germany, I think, lost in qualifying or in the Nations League, I think, to North Macedonia, if I'm not mistaken, which is obviously a bit of a shock. So, France, you know, uh, I think there's only been themselves and Spain that have won both the World Cup and the Euros back to back. Portugal, the reigning yeah. champions. How do you see those games playing out? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you would expect Hungary to be more or less pointless in that group. Um, most people seem to think that France, it's almost theirs to lose this tournament, which I think is ridiculous when you look at the strength of Belgium and the organisation of Belgium and potential of Belgium. You know, um, I think Belgium, I mean, as you know, I like my cricket. I think Belgium have been have become a little bit like South Africa. It's, some kind of choking has been going on in the last couple of tournaments where they should have done better. Some kind of mental barrier when they got to a certain level. Mm. But... You know, I don't think there's any reason why they can't get past that, and that's just two teams. So, you know, England and Italy, and no doubt one or two others, um, will have, have a say in, uh, in in not allowing France to win the tournament. So, it'd be interesting to see how, how impressive France are, you know, against Germany and against uh, Portugal. Is it in the other group team in that group? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's not on another contender. You'd think. If they if they if they if they do dominate those three games, not necessarily win them all, but you know they they look con, look convincingly the better team in all three games, then uh, you know I'm not I, I wouldn't like to say they're going to do that. You know you sort of ask me how you sort of go see it going. I think that's what I want. That's what I'm interested to see happening. Um, and, and as I said to you the other day, I think Germany will uh, will somehow bring themselves round to make life difficult for the other teams. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to tip Germany to go through with France because um, I'm not, not so sure Portugal are quite as effective as they were um, a while back. That's bold, really, because Portugal, uh, we talk about teams that maybe have got squads that haven't moved on as much since previous tournaments and obviously Ronaldo feels, you know, uh, it's hard to look past him sometimes and you can be a bit distracting when you look at the squad, but... You know, you look at uh, Jota, he's had a good couple of seasons. Jao Felix, yeah. Atletico's obviously a good player. They're not this team that were there two or three years ago and it was, you know, the class of a 2018 has stuck around a little bit too long. You've got players in their form. Ruben Neves is obviously a top player we know him quite well. Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes. You can look at the back line and go, okay, Pepe's still there, he's getting a little bit older now, but they've got the best defender in the Premier League, uh, Ruben Diaz. So there's there's a spine there. Um, you know, just and they've obviously got options for creativity depending if they play through Silva or Fernandez. So I don't know, that's a that's a bold call. Maybe we'll just have to wait and see how the games play out and we'll reassess I, I next think, time. Yeah, if you, yeah, I mean the call I suppose the boldness what I've said is there is they're gonna knock Germany are basically gonna knock Portugal out. And you know, that's just a gut feeling that they'll, they'll get the better of Portugal and that will be the key result. Um 
but I mean, as you say, it's not difficult to make a case for Portugal on the day being the match for anybody. Um, I believe they have lost Cancelo. Did you hear that? Yeah, COVID. I believe. Yeah, he's got COVID, and I mean, we we all know, we we both know that. You know, he's got a lot of ability. Um, don't know how well he's played for Portugal in the caps that he's, he's picked up, but he's a, he's another top player, really. So, and you're right, the spine is probably the, is, is one is a good word to use. They've, they've, you know, they've got enough. They've got a, five, five or six players who were getting a lot of teams who were very good players, and then it, it's it's like putting the rest of the players around them and seeing how you know how good they are as a unit. Yep. And, um, I, but I, I'm just I'm sort of more on the Laura Babbage's saying about Portugal because you know they they weren't massively fancied to win the last Euros and they sort of had their moment you know with with uh, Ronaldo still in his prime. Yeah. To do it twice in a row would be a, a big achievement. I'm in the final. I mean, I'm trying. I'm struggling to remember the, the name of the guy who scored the winner in the final. Was it Ronaldo Sanchez? Um, not sure it was him, but it was a bit of a a, a nobody, wasn't it? Um, and it's like. You know, it's just one of those freakish moments that was meant to be. <laughs> Bit of a nobody. Arguably, well, not arguably, undisputedly a better football than both of us put together. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're going to get a big Portuguese following. Yeah, well, I don't think we're going to get a big, yeah, big Portuguese following on this on this podcast. We're hoping to get listener numbers up from last week's two to, to maybe four. That would be double, but I don't think any of them will be Portuguese. Well, the proof will be in the end of the pudding, and that feels like a nice place to, to probably pause and wrap it up now. The sooner I go to bed, the sooner I can get up and watch Argentina Chile in uh, Copa America and uh, catch up on um, our neighbours up north Scotland and the other games and um, I'm sure we'll reflect on those a little bit later in the week Okay, well um, thanks for the chat and um, hopefully down the line you know nothing will happen that will make either of us look like real fools so uh, we'll see we'll, we'll know more next time we talk So we will